For the rest of us now, let's open up to Romans chapter 16. We are right near the finish line in this glorious, glorious epistle that the Lord has given to us. We're going to be picking up where we left off last week. That has us in verse 17. So let's one more time stand together. I say one more time, but we'll stand again before the end of this service. Hear now the word of the Lord, Romans chapter 16, beginning in verse 17. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. Let's pray together. Almighty God, thank you for your living, supernatural, inerrant word for this good and pure, this perfect gift that you have given to us. I pray, Lord, by that same spirit who inspired this text that you would give to us this morning, ears to hear. Lord, receptive hearts, that you would do the greatest miracle of causing the dead to live this morning, of unstopping deaf ears, causing them to hear the truth of your word, of giving us spiritual eyes to see. I pray, Lord, for the miraculous work of your spirit in those whom you have already saved and made alive, that you would, by your spirit, transform us even more into the likeness of Christ, our Savior. I pray for myself as I proclaim your word, that the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart, would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. (laughs) Well, as we saw last week, as Paul sent this large list of greetings, this large list of names of, of those whom he loved and cared for, we see the unity in the church is a precious thing. It is a beautiful thing. It is a glorious thing and... It's a thing that's always in danger. It's in danger because it is, it is under constant attack. From a spiritual standpoint, from an eternal standpoint, the unity that we have in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is actually unshakable. It is rooted in the fact that we are hidden in Christ. It is our union with Christ that causes us to have true and lasting, eternal, unbreakable unity with one another in the body of Christ. But experientially, from an earthly standpoint, our unity in the church is something of a fragile thing because we're sinful, because we're selfish. Our unity is easily disrupted. And so there is, in fact, a clear and present danger to the sweet and precious unity in the truth in the local church. And in this passage this morning... Paul is revealing to us this clear and present danger to the unity in the church. And he is prescribing to us some measures of protection, some measures of remedy to these dangers. And again, last week we saw this long list, this lengthy list of of greetings that the Apostle Paul sends out. He expresses his deep love for, he expresses his affection for 
the church. And now it's as if he interrupts his own thoughts. He has been, he's been putting these thoughts forward. He's been expressing his love. And all of a sudden he interrupts himself here. And it's like he takes a sideways turn. And he brings in this passionate, this life and death word of warning. This, this, this warning comes in so abruptly that Many believe it's not actually part of the original letter, that at some point later this was added into the letter because it's such a departure. Paul sends greetings, and then all of a sudden this, this stern warning, and then he goes back to some more greetings. And people say, well, this must have been added in later. I don't think that's the case. Uh, I think it makes perfect sense what's going on here. Paul has, has been expressing his love for as he sends these greetings out. You can almost sense what would happen in our hearts if we, were, if we were writing to and about people that we loved as our hearts become filled. You ever talk to a parent and they're talking to you about their kids? Maybe it's even their adult kids and their eyes start filling up with tears. They start getting a little bit choked up. Well, here's Paul. He is, his heart is filling up to overflowing with love as he sends his greetings out to these saints. And he reflects on his love for them, on the, the preciousness of unity within the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and as that happens, it's, it's almost from the side comes this compelling force in him, I must warn them. This is so dear. This is so precious. These people matter so much. I must give to them this urgent warning. So suddenly in verse 17, Paul flips into another mode and he says, as he's given this long list of people that he greets and that he loves and that should be welcomed, he goes, there's, there, there's actually another group of people though you should not be welcoming. These people should be marked and avoided. But Paul has shown us how much he values unity. But in a fallen world, this unity that we have in Christ, this unity that is ours spiritually and eternally, it must be guarded. It must be fought for. True unity among the people of God can only be, must only be built around the truth. And so in order to protect this unity, we must contend for the truth. And that means we must exclude certain kinds of people. That's going to be Paul's point here. Look at verse 17. I appeal to you, brothers, watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. This union in the church, this unity and peace in the church is a precious and beautiful thing. And so it is a high-handed wickedness and sin to disrupt that. To bring disruption into the unity of the church of Jesus Christ is a wicked, rebellious thing to do. So Paul calls the whole church, watch out for, avoid those who would do so, those who would bring division. He says, watch out, literally to mark them out. It's a call to vigilance. It's a, it's a wartime mentality. We read these words in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Friends, we really are in a spiritual war. We really do have an enemy. He really does prowl around like a roaring lion seeking to devour anyone who he can. 
he really does hate Christ and his church. Are you familiar with his tactics? This enemy who seeks to destroy your soul. This enemy who is bloodthirsty. He sows division. He accuses. He tempts. He deceives as an angel of light. He sends wolves in sheep's clothing into Christ's church. And we need to ask ourselves right at the outset, are, are you on guard against false teaching and the teachers who teach it? Is your guard up against that? That's what Paul's calling us to in the church. And he's not just calling the pastors in, in, in Rome to this. He's calling the church in Rome to this. Our guard to be up against false teachers and the false teaching that they bring. How do you guard against them coming into your life? How are you guarding your life from false teaching? How are you guarding them from coming into your family? How are you guarding them from devouring your children? How are you, if your kids are going to school for eight hours a day, how are you combating the false, godless, anti-God teaching they're receiving for eight hours a day? How are you fighting that? How are you safeguarding them? Do you know that not everything that calls itself Christian can be trusted, even? Many of the most popular preachers on TV and on social media are not teaching sound orthodox theology. Usually if there's a preacher I'm seeing shared a lot on social media, there are serious problems with his teaching and with his doctrine. And a lot of times they're being shared around because they're saying things that are conservative. And so we're like, well, this is a good guy. He's taking a stand. Are we on guard? Wildly popular TV shows like The Chosen, are you aware that there are highly questionable people associated with these shows? That many of our best-selling Christian authors have errant theology? A number of the best-selling Christian authors who are writing books about how we ought to live our Christian lives have abandoned the church altogether? Some of the most popular Christian music is being produced by heretics and false converts? That really is the landscape of our Christian culture. It's filled with landmines. It's filled with quicksand, which as a kid I thought was going to play a much bigger role in my life than it has turned out to play. I've never really been in danger from quicksand, but I was sure I would be as a kid. Let me just tell you, our Christian landscape is filled with quicksand. It wants to swallow you up. I'm not talking about, and hear me right up front, I'm not talking about us being grumpy Christians. Those two words don't belong together, grumpy Christian. I'm not talking about us being the people who nitpick every slightest misstep and throw a wet blanket on everything we see. I'm not saying let's be the people who anytime somebody's excited about something, we're like, well, let me actually tell you what's going on here with them. No, it's possible for us to get so finely tuned in our little thing that anyone who disagrees with us about anybody's out and it's us and our two idiosyncratic friends and that's it. I'm not calling us to that. But we are in a spiritual war. We have a real enemy and he really wants to murder you eternally. He wants to destroy the church of Christ. 
He works by deception. He is sly. He is cunning. And so we must be discerning. Paul says we must mark them. Then he says, avoid them. Now our culture says that's judgmental. Mark and avoid. Much of Christian culture hates the very thought of discernment. It utterly despises the concept of marking and avoiding. But friends, this is what we do with infectious diseases. We avoid them. You wouldn't let a dangerous predator into your home. You wouldn't say to, you know, get your hands on a full-grown lion and be like, kids, it's going to be in the living room. He's our pet now. It's fine. Just be cool. Remember everything we've taught you. It's going to be fine. No, you wouldn't do that. Spiritually, though, many of us have done that. That's what many do. Exactly what many do. They open themselves and their families to predators who want to devour them. These, these wolves that Paul's talking about do two things. He says they cause division and they create obstacles. Causing division is a serious sin. This is not a small matter. Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 3, If anyone teaches a different doctrine, does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit. He understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy and dissension and slander and evil suspicions, constant friction among the people who are depraved in mind, deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. These aren't light words. Titus chapter 3 verse 10, Paul tells Titus how to deal with these people in the church. He says, as for the person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. These are not innocent, neutral individuals Paul is talking about. They are seeking to, whether consciously or unconsciously, divide and conquer. That's how the enemy works in the church, divide and conquer. That's what these people are doing. They're either doing it on purpose or they're doing it not knowing that they're doing it. Either way, Paul says they are warped and sinful. They are to be avoided. They are stirring up division in the church. Secondarily, he says, these wolves create obstacles contrary to true doctrine. Now, this isn't theological hair splitting over secondary issues. Paul's not going, I have this end times view and they have this end times view. Mark and avoid. It's not honest, biblical coming to different conclusions from our reading of Scripture and our study, but doing so in a loving, gracious manner. No, that's, it's not an honest, biblical disagreement over non-essentials. Obstacles here, the Greek word is scandalon. You can hear the word scandal in it. It's where we get our word scandal. It's the word for a trigger on a trap. When the, when the, the, the unsuspecting prey would come and they'd, they'd pull on that food or whatever it was in the trap that lured them in, it's that stick that, that triggered the trap to, to close on them. It's a scandal. James Montgomery Boyce says, Paul's not thinking of moral scandal or scandalous behavior. He's warning of doctrinal scandal. That is the adding of something to the gospel that will trap 
unsuspecting believers in some doctrinal error. Those who promote these things, they're they're not these false teachings, bringing them into the church. They're not just causing division. That would be wicked enough. Causing division in the church of Christ, as we've just seen, is a wicked, wicked thing. But they are also seeking to entrap. They are seeking to destroy anyone that they can. They're not just merely creating difficulties and road bumps for people. They are attempting to block the way of eternal life. That's what Jesus says in Matthew 23, verse 13. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You neither enter yourself nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You travel across the sea and land to make a single proselyte. When he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much the child of hell as yourselves. This is what these, those who cause division, these false teachers, this is what they do. They are seeking anyone to gather around them and believe what they are teaching and get on their team. They are incredibly dangerous. And so Paul says, avoid them. Have nothing to do with them. There's a reason we're very careful about what ministries we promote. There's a reason we don't sing most of the popular worship music being sung in churches all across the country and all through our community, music being put out by groups like Bethel Church and Hillsong and Elevation. There's a reason we don't endorse many popular books as they come out that are being sold in Christian bookstores. For that matter, there's a reason we don't endorse most Christian bookstores. There's a reason we don't commend formerly trustworthy pastors and church leaders who have begun to teach and endorse critical race theory and woke ideologies, even though most of their teaching is still biblical. It's the reason that we don't immediately celebrate every so-called revival or uncritically accept everything that goes by the name of Christian, even though... Many Christians will say that's being judgmental. That's being unspiritual. That's being cold and dead and calculating. Even though we'll be accused of those things. The reason is this, because false teaching is a vicious cancer. It is a destructive force. It is a roaring lion that seeks to devour. And Paul commands us, avoid have nothing to do with the false teachers and their teachings, with those who cause division, with those who corrupt the pure teaching of biblical doctrine. If we obey Paul's commands here, friends, I can tell you from personal experience, if we obey Paul's commands here, we will often be accused of being the ones who cause division in the body of Christ. We've seen this many times. From personal experience, you can see it when a denomination begins to fall. This is what we've seen with the United Methodist denomination and, and the fact that they have almost fully apostatized in their American expression. And those that have turned away from the biblical gospel are now coming back on the back end after rejecting the clear teaching of not only Scripture, but of that denomination for its entire existence. They're now looking back at the conservatives who are saying, we're going to have to separate from you. And they're clutching at their pearls going, not us, we don't want division. We just want to be together. 
is what people do. This is the accusation that comes. You're the one being divisive. You're the one causing division in the body of Christ. The undiscerning always accuse the discerning of judgmentalism. Those who refuse to separate from false teaching always accuse those who must separate from false teaching of divisiveness. But friends, we are supposed to divide from certain things. We are supposed to divide from certain people. Obedience to Christ, love for his church demands it. True unity must be, only can be built around the truth. That's why Ephesians 5 chapter 11, or verse 11, Paul says, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. That's what we're called to do. It's just that if we do that in today's culture, even Christians will tell us we're being jerks, that we're being divisive, that we're being judgmental, that we're being unspiritual. Paul tells us, though, about these people, verse 18, for such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. Paul gives us two identifying marks here of these false teachers. Number one, they do not serve Christ as Lord. They serve themselves. Secondly, they deceive the naive with smooth talk and flattery. Those who divide the bride of Christ, those who teach a false gospel, are not serving the Lord Jesus. They are serving themselves. Now, that doesn't mean they're doing that self-consciously. Some, some are. There are some that are. I suspect they're in the minority when it comes to those who carry the name Christian. Many, probably most, are just so self-deceived that they don't even know they're false teachers. They're passionate about what they're saying. They are excited about what they are doing, but they are deceived. They are wolves, and we must be clear about that. They're not serving the Lord, Paul says. They are serving themselves. Whatever they think their motivation is, it's not serving the Lord. It is serving themselves. The problem is they pretend to speak for God and they think they are. They think they are speaking for God. They, they seem to sound so right, so bold, so passionate. They seem to care so deeply about Christ and his kingdom and his will, but the truth is they really care about themselves. Paul gets right to the heart of what's really going on with them. Their work, their name, their power, their bank account, their social credibility, their popularity. When their teaching is evaluated in the light of biblical truth, they will be found to be preaching another gospel. This Jesus who they are passionate about will be found to be a different Jesus. This hope that they are offering will be found to be a false hope. Paul says, by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. Smooth talk. This word only shows up one time in the Bible. It's right here. It's pl smooth, plausible-sounding speech. Slick speech. Flattery. Literally, this word is blessing. These are very telling descriptions of what false teachers are like. We hear the word false teacher. 
We hear the word wolf. We hear the word heretic. And we expect them to be so easy to spot, it would almost be as if they had little devil horns and a pointy tail. Oh, I would see these guys coming from a mile away. If that was the case, Paul wouldn't need to warn us about them. Paul warns us because it is so sneaky. False teachers and those who cause division usually look really good. They usually sound really good. They are usually very gifted. They are usually very charismatic. They might even be our friends. False teachers aren't always obvious. They are wolves in sheep's clothing. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13, Paul says, Such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it's no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds, Paul says. They have all the appearances of goodness and godliness. Plausible sounding speech. Religious goosebump producing speech. Even teaching scripture rightly at times. Their manner, their words are so deceptive that the naive are deceived by them. And that's a wonderful definition of much of the evangelical church today. Naive untrained, untaught. False teachers appear to be such nice people. They appear to be so genuine. Well, here's an example of just such false teachers. Their music sounds so good. It is so moving. Even, if I, even when I hear it, knowing who these people are, I can find myself moved by it. They talk about the kingdom of God. They talk about love for neighbor. There seems to be so much spiritual fervency. They teach the Bible as the infallible word of God. There is much expectation of the miraculous. There is an emphasis on the Holy Spirit's movement. There are reports of healing and miracles that are commonplace among them. It all sounds so good, so God-honoring, so attractive. So much so that the Bethel Church movement from Redding, California, which is who I just described, is one of the most popular movements in Christianity today. Their music is being sung in churches all around the world right now. It is being sung in churches all around our community right now. One of their most popular worship leaders, Corey Asbury, will be at the Blue Gate in Shipshawana in a month, and that concert will sell out. They are wildly popular. Their teaching is promoted in churches around the world, in numerous churches in this community who are not just singing their songs, they are promoting their theology, and they are heretics. They are false teachers. They are wolves and roaring lions. In case you think I'm overstating it, 
few examples from the last couple years in this movement. Their ministry students in their large ministry school started taking part in a practice called grave sucking where they would go lay on the graves of dead saints and, and suck their, their spirit into themselves so that they could have some of the same miraculous workings of these saints of old. Of course, who they identified as saints of old were sometimes heretics themselves. People like Amy Semple McPherson, which is kind of fitting for this group that they wouldn't even know the difference. At least go try to get Spurgeon's essence or something if you're going to do it. In their kids' ministry, they had reports of the kids taking a group trip to heaven together. They all described what heaven was like and drew pictures of it. Jen Johnson, who's the daughter of the leader of this group, Bill Johnson, is one of their most popular worship leaders, describes being able to see the Holy Spirit. In case you're curious, he looks like the genie from Aladdin. He's blue, and she says he's sneaky and funny. There's a lot, of, a lot of fire tunnels going on where they line people up on either side and you walk through while they pray over you and prophesy over you and all of these things. They, uh, they'll use a puppet for that, an anointed Holy Spirit puppet. It'll prophesy and pray over you. You can buy one of your own for your own ministry from their website. At least you used to be able to. With some of these things, people catch on to their shenanigans and then they disappear. used to be regularly that, that gold dust would fall in the room that they said was a glory cloud. It was really just glitter in the air conditioning system. People would find feathers on the floor that they claimed were angel feathers. What they really teach is, is the old word of faith prosperity gospel. Bill Johnson names a long line of what he calls the generals, which are just the heretics of old through the generations who've taught these same false things. God wants everybody to be healthy. If you have enough faith, you won't be sick. You'll, you'll prosper. Jesus was a man in his earthly ministry, just a man. And so that means we can do everything he did. And he can't have been more than just a man because that would mean we can't do everything that he did. These are people who should be marked and avoided, but instead they are the most popular and most influential Christians in the world right now. Impacting, reaching into the vast majority of evangelical churches in America and worldwide. How in the world did that happen? For one thing, it's the music. The music is the propaganda wing of these groups. It's the propaganda wing of Bethel's false teaching, of Hillsong's false teaching. But also, it's because they're passionate. They're earnest. Frankly, they're young and hip and cool and good-looking. Also because society is rapidly deteriorating, and there are a lot of areas where we agree with them. Politically, where we agree with them about the family, where we agree with them about morality, where we agree with them about the LGBTQ plus insanity that has taken over our society. They sound right. And often we actually agree with a lot of the things they say. And that's how they get at the hearts of the naive. That's how false teachers work. Just a hint, if you want to poison somebody with cyanide in their tea, 
You've you got to put just enough in there that they can't tell when they start sipping that there's poison in it. Well, there's enough poison here to kill you. That's how they get to the hearts. And of course, this isn't the only kind of false teaching. This is just a, a prevalent one in the Christian movement. This LGBT movement has infiltrated the church in stunning fashion, preaching their message of unconditional affirmation and acceptance, twisting the words of Scripture to fit their narrative. Many, many famous and popular Christian leaders have revealed their own corruption by promoting and teaching this wicked ideology, which only leads to destruction and more and more every day. I'm not even surprised anymore when the next famous Christian comes out in support of this. The majority of young people, and I'm talking 28 and younger, many of whom have been raised in our churches, the, the vast majority of them unwaveringly support the LGBT movement without reservation. They believe that not doing so makes you divisive, makes you judgmental, makes you backwards and bigoted. They have fully given themselves over to this false teaching that has infiltrated even the church. Critical race theory continues to sweep through even conservative churches like a plague, causing division in Christ's body, undermining our union with Christ. This, this, this ideology that sets people up against each other as, as enemies and combatants before they've done anything. It's all about power structures, inciting ethnic prejudice and mistrust and disunity. Christian colleges have been overrun by this godless ideology. It is the rare Christian campus you won't find a Christian campus where this teaching is, isn't present, but it's the rare Christian campus that hasn't been overrun by it. It's the rare campus that actually takes a stand against it. Certainly the ones right around here have bought it hook, line, and sinker. Feminism has perhaps had the biggest influence on American churches. This teaching that challenges God's good design and his creation of men as men and women as women and the various roles he has assigned to each of us in keeping with his created order and how he has made us. And the rejection of God's good design always has consequences. People go, well, why do you care so much about that? Why do you care what happens in other churches? Number one, because whatever's happening in other churches in our culture is coming for us. It's coming here. Number two, it's because the authority of Scripture is at stake here. This false teaching that undermines God's good creation of men as men and women as women with their varied roles, this false teaching leads to many more errors. It never stops there. Wayne Grudem in his book, Evangelical Feminism, The Path to Liberalism, he traces what has happened in several American denominations. It always starts with a low view of Scripture. Finding ways to side with culture over the Bible, followed by the ordination of women. We say, when Paul said, I do not allow a woman to teach or have authority over men, what Paul must have meant was, I do allow a woman to teach and have authority over men. Followed by the denial of any distinctions between male and female beyond the physical. 
And if you think that's crazy, just let me tell you, the university I teach at, their main New Testament guy, taught us that as his final word in a class when I was getting my master's on the pastoral epistles. I asked him point blank, are you saying there's no difference between men and women except our physical attributes? And he said, if there is, Jesus can't save women. That's a conservative evangelical school, and it is being taught at all the conservative evangelical schools around here. And in many of the churches, that's often followed by an emphasizing of God's femininity. They'll start calling the Holy Spirit the feminine of God. And that is always eventually followed by the affirmation of LGBT behavior. It always is. The argument in favor of a woman preacher or pastor is the argument for gay marriage. You have to make the same biblical argument to get to to the woman in the pulpit that you get to for gay marriage. It always goes there. If you think I'm making too big a deal out of this, let me encourage you to study the history of the United Methodist Church, the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, the Presbyterian Church USA, or the Mennonites. You just study what they did, the decisions they made. You will see this very pattern play out in every single one of them. Now, that is just a couple of the false teachings that threaten the church. We could go on and on and on for days with all the false teachings coming at the church. This church had a pastor who denied the Trinity at one point. And he was a sweet guy. Many of you knew him well. And the naive were deceived by him. And it split the church. Paul wants us to take this very seriously. Deadly seriously. Galatians 1 verse 8 says, Even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so now I say to you again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Paul says, let them go to hell. Be cursed, be damned. False teachers are extremely dangerous. And in our world, false teachers have a very long reach. Books, the internet, podcasts, music, movies, TV shows, churches must guard against false teachers with diligence. And what many people will say to this, what many people will say to a message like this, churches talk too much about false teachers. We should talk about the things we believe and not the things we don't believe. Have you heard that? I'm just concerned that I hear more about what we don't believe than what we do believe. It's arrogant, it's judgmental to point something out in someone else's teaching as false or heretical. Worry about yourself. Let me just tell you, that is not how Paul thought about this at all. Verse 8 of Galatians 1 that we just read said, anyone who preaches a gospel different than the one we preach. In other words, Paul says, we are right about the gospel. The gospel is clear, we have understood it, and we have rightly proclaimed it. And anyone who preaches something else is a heretic, and they can go to hell. 
In Acts 20, Paul describes false teachers like this. He says they are savage wolves who will not spare the flock. Oh, friends, false teaching is a danger to the unity of the church. It is a serious danger to your soul. So don't discount it. Don't disregard it. Don't just think these are harmless words that people are saying. Don't have anything to do with false teachers. Don't have anything to do with heretics. Even if most of what they say sounds pretty good, and I'll tell you, for a lot of them, most of what they're going to say is going to sound pretty good. For the sake of the church, for the sake of your soul, mark them and avoid them. This is serious stuff. This is life and death stuff. Let me just close with this. Paul gives a young pastor this instruction in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so you will save both yourself and your hearers. These two things, these two quick points of application. Keep a close watch on yourself, that is your life. Keep a close watch on the teaching, that is your doctrine. Number one is this, we all need discernment. All of us need discernment. Not just elders, not just pastors. We all need to be watchful. We all need to think critically. And I don't mean be critical, we need to think critically. We need to think through things. We need to judge rightly. We need to hold everything up to the light of Scripture. We need to know the difference between true and false. We need to mark and avoid those who disrupt the unity of Christ's church. We need to mark and avoid those who deviate from the truth of God's word. We must be vigilant about this. We must be on guard at all times. We must be discerning. And then secondly, this. So we all need discernment. Number two, we all need to exercise humility. Perhaps you have finely tuned theological senses. My guess in this room is, as we've talked about some of these things, some of you are like, what what is going on? How am I even going to know? You just said you don't endorse most of the Christian bookstores, right? Because as I told one local Christian bookstore owner, we aren't going to endorse you because you have books by heretics right next to good books and you don't know the difference between the two. Maybe you're going, "Ah, what do I even do with this? Maybe you've already decided I'm doing nothing with it. He's kind of a creep and I'm not going to think about it again after this moment. For some of you, you're going, yeah, I know all this. I know who all the people you're talking about are. Even when you haven't named them, I know who those people are too. I know about all of this stuff. I can spot false teaching from a mile away. You have these finely tuned theological senses. You have trained yourself in the word of God and you know truth from falsehood and you see it quickly. Then let me say this to you. Watch your life closely. Are you striving for unity in the church? Do you love the people of God? Are you contentious? Are you combative? Is your posture towards the church at large, towards the naive, is your posture one of contempt 
and judgment or is it one of compassion and love and concern? Are you living a life of obedience and submission to the Lordship of Christ yourself, even as your theology is rock solid? Rock solid theology that is right down the line on every point, but a heart that is cold and indifferent to the Lord Jesus Christ when it comes to worship will get you nowhere. It will earn you greater judgment, and that is all, because you're responsible for God for all of this light that He has poured on you. Watch your life and doctrine closely. And friends, what a privilege it is to be God's people. Those who are held in his hand. Those who who sit under the authority of his word and in a world that is crumbling and in a world filled with, with the agents of the evil one who are out to devour and to destroy to know that our God reigns on his throne that he has given us to one another that we might be secure and safe. To know that he has given us to one another in the church that if we fall into, under the sway of some of this false teaching that we got brothers and sisters that will come along beside us and, and show to us the error that we're starting to walk in. It's a gift. It's a glorious and a good thing. Again, There ought never be such a thing as a grumpy Christian. The Holy Spirit produces joy within us. The truth produces joy within us. And even as we we despise and abominate, and these false teachers I've talked about this morning, and the many false teachings that we didn't even get into, I want you to know I hate them. These false teachings, I hate them with every fiber of my being. They make me angry. But we can never be grumpy. We can never be the wrong... We we, we ought to judge rightly, but we cannot be judgmental. Does that make sense? And when we look at even these false teachers, it is not our job, as we heard in Sunday school this morning, with these imprecatory psalms of judgment and cursing... It's not our job to curse these people. We pray, and I pray for some of these false teachers. Lord, save them. Open their eyes. Bring them to repentance. Cause them to come out of this false teaching. To work, even as we saw with the Apostle Paul, to undo the damage that has been done. And yes, if they will not, shut them down. Close their churches. Take away their platform. In fact, Take away their life if need be. It's that serious. But the foundational prayer that outweighs all the others is, Lord, save them. Save them. They too are deceived. They too are are naive. And they're, they're ravaging the church. And so we are people who are moved by compassion and love and joy in the Lord. But we must stand firm. We must come what may. Come what accusations may come. There are things I've talked to our elders about that may come down the road and I've said it will give our church a bad name. It will certainly give me a bad name and we must stand on the truth. Come what may. May we be a church who stands on the truth joyfully and worshipfully. Amen. Let's pray together. Almighty God, thank you for your word. Lord, your word is a treasure. 
Lord, even when we see a, 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 a hard teaching like this, calling us to mark and avoid those who, who disrupt the unity of the church and who teach that which is not in accord with the, the truth of your gospel, we know that, that, Lord, that is such an urgent matter because the unity in the church is so precious and so beautiful. And so, Lord, let us be, let our gratefulness for your kindness to us outweigh our righteous indignation. Lord, we don't, we don't want that righteous indignation to, to go away so that we would be lopsided and not even be on guard and not even speak the truth, but let us be a people who are motivated by love for you. It was your kindness that led us to repentance. So we pray, God, you would make us a people filled with joy, filled with the hope of the gospel, filled with answers that would shine the light on the darkness of false teaching and the darkness of this world. God, let us be a people marked with love, with this glorious and precious unity that we saw last week from Paul's words, that we'll see next week from Paul's words. Let us be marked by that, even as we stand firm. We do that, Lord, because of this unity and because of your glory. Pray you'd make us faithful to that end. In Jesus' name, amen.